0: Welcome back for episode 30 of Self-Signed Artist. Sometimes a career in music is more about making a difference than it is about making a living. Today, we're talking about benefit projects with Michael Steiner of John Airfield.
1: You're listening to Self-Signed Artist, the podcast that helps independent musicians run their brand like a business. Now, your hosts, Kobe Nelson and Jake Mannix.
0: How's it going, everybody? I'm Kobe Nelson, and I'm here with my co-host, Jake Mannix. Hello, hello. And today is a, a unique opportunity because our guest is just about to release their debut EP. And I feel like the the normal sequence of things is an artist releases their debut and then makes podcast appearances, but not so today and for good reason. And that's because as if releasing music wasn't exciting enough, this EP is also meant to do some good for the world at the same time. So we've got all kinds of things that we want to talk about here today. So I'm excited to welcome to the podcast, Michael Steiner of John Airfield.
2: What's going on?
0: How you doing? Thank you for being here.
2: Yeah, this is awesome.
0: So so there are quite a few things that we want to talk about today. And I have some notes here, but there are so many things that I'm not even really sure where to start. So let's kind of start off at the beginning, where we start with most of our guests and talk about your background a little bit and, and how you got into music. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do now, and how you got started making music?
2: Yeah, for sure. I'm from Hartford, Connecticut, and probably... Uh, maybe not an expected answer, but probably the first musical thing I did was musical theater. So, mm. you know, but like we're talking elementary school, middle school, <laughs> but
0: <Nice.
2: laughs> high school came around and a lot of friends were getting into playing in bands and playing in their basements and whatnot. And I was gifted an instrument, a bass from a friend because I really wanted to be able to play music with people when they were jamming and playing in, in their houses. And that's kind of the beginning of playing music and writing music. And that kind of was the start of learning instruments and getting together with all different combinations of people. And then I went to school in Brooklyn at Pratt Institute's art school and studied industrial design. But it was basically study, work, do homework, do all your regular college things, but in between that, kind of like sneak off to, there was a chapel with a piano, I I played music with some friends in any kind of corner we could find, and music definitely like never disappeared from when I kind of got started getting into it in high school, so that's sort of the onset, but it's always been kind of a fill every moment of free time with as much music as possible
0: yeah that sounds like you did a lot of different things too. sort of starting from i guess starting from a the vocal side of things with the the musical theater in elementary do you remember what the first show you did was in elementary For sure. school
2: it's, yeah i think it was the wizard of oz <laughs> nice um yeah <laughs> uh, yeah i was yeah it was that I, actually it was the wizard of oz there's a musical called little abner i don't know if you guys are pretty big uh old school musical fans over there. But um, <laughs> I was just thinking about it because I found a picture had to play a character who started as a lanky person, which was very hard, you know, for me to get into. And I turned into a muscular person. I was like nine years old and they sewed us this muscle suit out of cloth <laughs> and like stuffed it with stuff. And I just will never forget. I don't know why I kept on doing musical theater because <laughs> I remember walking out on stage and literally the audience of parents and family just laughing at these like oh, three boys in these like ridiculous muscle suit but anyways kept on going booked a big gig as the wizard in the wizard of oz and it was Ooh. It. the rest of the rest was history. moving on but. up yeah <laughs> yeah
0: so so you started off then playing bass transitioned over to playing bass you said after being gifted a bass yeah. and these so these days you're making music on your own under the name john airfield which is what your upcoming releases under? Right. But you've been releasing music and performing with a band, Noble Kids, right?
2: Right. For, yeah.
0: That's been over five years now, right?
2: Yeah. Noble Kids started in school. Basically, going into senior year, I was moving into my like a kind of house on campus, and the RA of the couple row houses was helping me move in, like instruments, and and he was like, "Oh, you play music? We should definitely play." And we actually followed through on that and set up some stuff in in the basement and basically never stopped playing music. Bryce and I, he like he is someone who I would text at three o'clock in the morning, be like, are you still working on stuff? You want to just go play music for an hour? <laughs> so that kind of, those things turned into, hey, we should make a band. Bryce was actually the first person to be like, I think you should like, why, why don't you do this more often?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so right when I graduated in, in 2013, he was like, let's make an EP. Let's do, let's do something. And so, yeah, so Noble Kids was my total, music existence between graduating college and just about a year ago. And when we all kind of moved to different places, but that's what kind of taught me what else there was to do in music, what it meant to actually make a record and sit down in the studio and like playing my first show, like playing a show in New York, even if it's just like, you know, an empty room in a, and like an upstairs above a bar, like it, it was just like, that was sort of noble kids brought all of those opportunities and all of those experiences.
0: Mm. So were you were you kind of both the songwriters for that band?
2: Yeah, I think Bryce is someone who probably has been has been musical. I don't know, I don't think musical theater, but musical in terms of playing music for, you know, a huge part of his life. And so we a lot of times we would just be like in the basement with instruments. Like, oh, this is like some melody or riff or some old song that I had, or, oh, this is something that I was writing. And sometimes we would just like sit there and figure out what we could layer on top of it. Or he would send me a voice memo or play me something and I would apply like a, you know, an iPhone note to it. And that's that's how I think the our entire first, you know, couple songs came together was just like, I have this melody that I've been playing forever. And, and I, you know, he would play it for me. And then it was just like... Say no more. Let's like, let's make this into a song.
0: nice. So it sounds like a very a very collaborative <laughs> sort of thing then. Uh, our, now that you're doing more on your own as a solo artist, can you talk about that a little bit? Because uh, so with past guests, specifically with Katie Gallagher, which who we had on as a guest just a few weeks ago, I think episode twenty seven, we talked about some of the creative challenges that can go along with working with a band versus being a solo artist. And she was kind of mentioning how as a songwriter in a band, she had to think about it differently, speaking for more people than just herself. And it was somewhat freeing to kind of go solo. Does that line up with your experiences in any way?
2: I think, I mean, I, I like team sports. Like, I love people. I like being around people. I like working on projects with people. So, Noble Kids was amazing because everybody contributed to making what that band and that music was and i once you like logistically noble it was no more was thinking about what i wanted to do next the idea of doing it alone was actually really really daunting i i think that it was probably like the longest i went without like wanting to really like write anything because i was like you know a bit of imposter syndrome and like yeah, can you can i do this and but i think i tried to stop feeling bad for myself like very quickly because it's music and I, I think I kind of tried to give rid of some of the expectations I had set for myself. And also John Airfield is me and it, it's an opportunity to maybe say more directly subject matter and, and things about myself personally that I didn't put into like a, into the bigger forum of what was in noble kids, but it also is an opportunity to work with a ton of new people. And even if it's just working with someone, I've always wanted to like have their voice on something or have them produce something or have them play, you know, 20 seconds of guitar on it's john airfield is solo but it is also somehow bigger than anything that i've done so far
0: right i think that's i think that can really be true for a lot of quote-unquote solo acts i'm wondering if you can talk about maybe the flip side of the the challenges that go along with being in a band can you Talk about any other maybe unexpected challenges that came from being solo and still and still having that kind of collaborative aspect or even just being solo in general at all.
2: Yeah, I think I got really used to always getting feedback, like kind of instant feedback. Mm. And a lot of times when I'm looking for old demos, like I will come across G chats or emails or conversations that I had with like all of the members of Noble Kids of sending snippets and it's like i can't believe i took that for granted of just like instant feedback on ideas that you have like positive and negative it's just like very daunting to i think for how my brain works to lose that Mm -hmm. and that's something that i've had that like john airfield and the project has taught me and i want to continue to learn is just how to let things exist in space and like keep developing them and and it's not that bandmates were giving validation. They were just like musically smart people. And it it was just really a nice way of doing things. And sometimes when you have no ideas, you all of a sudden, someone sends you an email with some amazing little riff and you're like, okay, I'm going to go sit down for seven hours and like demo (laughs) the whole song. So I think motivation is really hard. And a lot of the other musicians I know are, are all kind of solo people and you make decisions for the band alone you make decisions on where to play and when to play and how much to spend on your record and if you can swing doing this a tour or anything like that you do it alone whereas we always were kind of a democracy and how we decided what we thought was was right to do so I think it's just it's not that one way is is better than the other I think it's just wildly different now especially because of how much I loved having other people involved
0: yeah Jake, I'm curious to like, does that line up with your experiences at all too? Cause you've been doing your own solo artist career for a little bit, but you also have that same sort of thing where you you're working with lots of collaborators on songwriting. Have you have you had any of those same sorts of experiences, like missing a feedback loop or anything like that?
1: Yeah. I miss I definitely miss having the feedback of the band that I had. And it was kind of just nice because we all all vibed as a group. So it would like they weren't just giving me feedback on what worked for me. It was like, what's going to work for us. You know what I mean? And now I still kind of have that. It's just like a circle of friends that are not even a circle of friends, just like a few friends in my context that yeah. end up with the songs every couple times. And exactly. Kobe happens to be one of them. <laughs> and he, you know, it's just a text like, yo, here's boom. Here's whatever MP3.
0: Right. Yeah. It becomes a community thing rather than like under the umbrella of, a band
2: exactly yeah no that's that's totally right and i mean i should yeah i shouldn't leave out that there's still a feedback loop it just is like me pestering probably like the same three people (laughs) like hey this demo is two percent different than the one i sent you last week but can you let me know if you like (laughs) yeah and it's it's a hard task to give to someone because it's like you know you know what to listen for but like if you've listened to you know, song A versions one through fifteen. Like, it's a really hard. It's a hard thing to do. So you got to appreciate
1: your friends for being willing to do do
2: all that listening.
1: Yeah, and you can always change more. That's the that's the yeah. toughest part. You can always you can always keep changing it. You just got to sit on your hands sometimes. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I think maybe that is part of the the thing about being the solo artist. At the end of the day, is that you do that's the one thing that you you really can kind of decide that like this is yeah. the the point where I can call it done. Yeah. Uh, so, so you just announced your debut EP for John Airfield, which for for people who are listening, it's just been announced. As of the recording, it actually hasn't been announced yet. Right. Um, so it's called 1999, and it's coming out on December fourth, which is two days from now for all you listeners out there. If you're listening on the day that this episode comes out, so what what can you tell us about this EP and the process for the EP or or anything about it.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. I think I think to start 1999. Why it's called 1999 is actually a good metaphor for for what the goal is. Maybe I think when you hear it, you're like, oh, it's gonna it's gonna be nostalgic. Like, oh, like I, I mean, I'm I'm 20 29, so 1999 was is a very early part of my lifetime. But it actually is not talking about the year 1999 in terms of what I was going through, what I was experiencing. It's actually specifically referring. To a 1999 Saab 93, which is a car. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who aren't familiar with Saabs, it is a car. And for some reason, not for some reason, but that car and its aesthetic is actually the era that I'm thinking about in this in this EP. The idea of, or the feeling, or the smell or sounds of like driving around in your friends' cars, and that is so much more. These like very specific aesthetic details that I think make up the EP because if you ask me abstractly the EP and hopefully more EPs to come I want to encompass a lot of really big ideas and I'm really trying to kind of different than how I'd done in the past be really direct about the things I've experienced and feel about queerness and sexuality and identity but they're not the songs are in big poetic metaphors. They're really like stories about very specific visual or sensory things. And so that's why I kind of like that it could all be boiled down to this car that you just remember sitting in your friend's driveway, or probably it could have been named like Volvo or whatever, because I think mean, most people <laughs> I know actually drove Volvos. But, but yeah, so... It, there's, there's, there's definitely like those two layers there. It's, it's trying to talk about really big things by just bringing up some really specific snippets of your memory or like scenes in a movie, almost. Um,
0: mm.
2: Yeah. The one other thing I think is just that the songs themselves aren't just like memories. I think the biggest theme is revisiting and kind of rewriting your memories. I think I, I I'm not speaking for everyone with a queer experience, but for me. It took a really long time to, and I'm still developing my own identity, but I definitely am in a place now where I understand a lot more about myself than I did when a lot of these memories were unfolding. And so I think it's common, or I I wonder if it's common to kind of rewrite some of those situations, kind of knowing now what you know, and even things as innocuous as driving to Wendy's (laughs) to get food at two o'clock in the morning, or, or just like, walking like there's a there's a bunch of cemeteries and in my town where you kind of just like it was a fun cool thing to do and you know not saying oh maybe that maybe that friend was actually in love with me that's not what i'm saying it's just like if i had known what i was feeling or what i was thinking then like how would i have imagined those situations so that's that's a bit more of the complexity to the record but Hmm. instead of trying to I don't think I went a thousand layers deep. I think I really just talked about like what I saw and what I felt and heard. And for the most part, that's, that's at least in, in the first song on, on the EP, it's called don't want to come back. That's, that's a lot of what sets the stage for the EP.
0: Mm. So I I also want to talk about the, the, the benefit project that kind of goes along with this, because I think that this is a, a pretty unique thing to release a debut also as a benefit project at the same time, which I think is really cool. So for listeners, after this has just been announced, 1999 is going to be sold as 7-inch vinyl records as a fundraiser for Morris Home. So, Michael, can you tell us a little bit about Morris Home and your decision to support their mission with your your first release as John Airfield?
2: Yeah, absolutely. In, in deciding to make an EP, kind of as I said earlier... I sort of stopped making music. I mean, I, I played music and I fiddled in, but I, I really was sort of nervous to start doing something again. And I knew that I wasn't going to jump back in and, and make a record as a solo. Like I, I really, I, I didn't know what I wanted to be and what kind of music I wanted to make. And so in terms of format, I, I thought an EP would be really great because it could just be, I have so many ideas floating around and let's put them into something small. And I I, maybe we can get into this later too, because I know you guys focus a lot on kind of music as a job and and money and and finance as a music. And and it's it's woven in, and I'm going to try to do a a good job of, of kind of tying it all into this. But, you know, over the summer after kind of Noble Kids, like the bookend was placed, what I needed was to make music. And I didn't, I don't need at that point to make music to make money. I just really needed to make music. And I think you guys know, but. I, I am a working industrial designer and I and I also consider myself a working musician and was in a fortunate enough place where I had the resources to just make music for the sake of making music and totally recognize that that is a huge luxury and, and a huge privilege because I had a job that allowed me to buy equipment or you know pay the friends and people I wanted to do sessions on on the record and and to me it was like the most important thing is making music. And so it's kind of a no brainer that like, let's make this for a benefit because the project just didn't feel like something that needed to be the start of like that future. And, Mm. you know, I, I don't need to be the person to say that there's so many good people who've created organizations or organizations that have existed forever that are doing incredible things that need our help. And so that's sort of what evolved. and I really did want to find an organization that, you know, was focused uh, within the queer community. but i I kind of engaged my network and my my community to find, you know what that was. And i have I have two really good friends who I kind of asked to help me make a list. And one of them that came up was Morris Home. and they are a I think they are the country's only home dedicated to recovery service. For trans community and gender non-conforming community, that stood out immediately because not only are, are they basically the only people who are doing this thing specifically, but I think it's something that absolutely gets overlooked. I take a lot for granted. I mean, we all take a lot for granted, but you know, as a queer person, I have never really thought about should I have to worry about if I if I need services like that or if I need support or mm-hmm. if my it, you know that th- that will be a problem for me and. That is, well, that's short sighted, absolutely. But reading about what they do, they're located in Philly. And I just think that it's a good, it's a good kind of starting point for what I hope to be multiple EPs and multiple causes, because I think there's a lot of people who. You know, whether you're queer, whether you're not queer, look at what what that community needs, and there's there's so much that you would you would just forget to think about and not even not even start to think about. and that's to me what Morris Home kind of represents. So I'm really excited to get it out and be able to, you know, in at least some capacity provide some donations to that. So I hope that was hope that made sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think that's so, so cool that this is how you decided to go about starting off. This project in the first place. Because I I mean, like you mentioned, we kind of, on this podcast, we're always talking about like the business side of things and I don't know what you can do to, I don't know, maximize your own (laughs) success and stuff like that. Something that we don't really talk about is the power of music to do good for other things. The power of art in general, the arts, it has so much potential for that. And I think we overlook that, especially on like the starting end of a project for like putting out your first EP as a benefit, I think is something that I I don't know if I've ever seen anybody else do that. It may be building up to that over time. That's becoming more common, I think, but, but to, to start off with that and have the, the project kind of be focused on that from the beginning, I think is really amazing. And you mentioned that this could be I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth or, or set you up for <laughs> s- something that may that may not be the case. But is this that you said this is potentially going to lead to more EPs in the future for a, a similar sort of project?
2: I, I'd really like it to be a series, and and I mean I'm already working on EP two. Like that's already nice. in the motion, I'm, <laughs> and, and it could just be its own thing. But I really would like it to be part of this series. And like having having had a background in in art and design. You know, even even the photography and the graphic design on the record, the whole plan is to keep those the people that I'm working with and the style like through to each kind of set of forty fives that these are being pressed on. And so I just like I like the idea of something a little bit bigger and that there is kind of continuity through the EPs. And I mean, we could we could maybe be talking months from now, and this is all totally different. But um, <laughs> I I should say though, that, I mean, there is credit in how doing a benefit came about. I mean, I think with COVID you saw a lot of, I don't know if industries is the right word, but especially in the arts, you know, put like putting others before themselves and doing like, I have people who make furniture, we have friends who make jewelry, like anything where all of a sudden, you know, these are people who normally do these things for money, whether it's their main gig or it's a side gig that allows them to do, you know, pursue what they want. And COVID was definitely like a huge kind of amplifier of that. But yeah, Dylan, you guys talked to Dylan, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago from Funny Bone, who's, who's collaborating on me with this record, which I'm extremely grateful for.
0: Yeah.
2: I, I think he's been doing benefits for, you know, for a while. And my really good friends and you know, the kind of the people that I mentioned who kind of gave me instruments and musicians, that they have been doing music for benefit for, you know, five, six, for, for so long that it, it's just been something that, because I'm so lucky to have these people in my community, I've been like be able to witness this as a form of just like a normal musical thing. So it, it was I didn't like wake up and go Ah, oh, I should do I should do a benefit EP. I, I've been watching people <laughs> do incredible things, and that's what made it so easy and normal to think about this as like the right way to start a new project.
0: Mm. So I mean, I mean, it's an ambitious project, especially considering if it's a a series, kind of an ambitious project broken up maybe into more bite-sized chunks. And can you talk about that a little bit? Like what goes into launching a project like this?
2: This might be an overly specific answer because this project in terms of wanting to do an EP, the, the the first planning phase was I was working for a company called Jump that made... Electric bikes and electric scooters. I don't know if anyone's out there is mm-hmm. familiar with those. And I was spending a ton of time flying back and forth between New York and San Francisco, and New York and LA, and 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 a handful of places. And whenever I was alone to my thoughts on these flights, I was thinking about music and wanting to make music, and that was always kind of a thing. And just listening, I even, I'm sure other people do this, so I don't think it's that weird. But like listening to old demos and listening to songs that I've already made yeah. and and trying to think about what. They could be, or what um what I want to do next, but I, I basically sat looking through pictures on my phone and made a fake album cover on the notes <laughs> app, you know, like thinking of I, I thought about what I wanted to be called, what I wanted the band's name to be called, what I wanted, maybe even some of the songs to be named before I started working on the record, and I, i've never I've never been a kind of never done it that way, but all of a sudden, I like had this name, I mean I'm sitting like smushed in the corner of this <laughs> seat on it's probably like three o'clock in the morning and i was like this feels like it could be something this feels like something that i could want to belong to and that i could make something like within these sort of walls and then it's as i kind of said earlier how do i actually make these things i, I yeah. play a lot of instruments but I was terrified to do a lot of it on my own. And and so what, I mean, Jake said it before you, you have friends, you, you know, you have an, you have a community. And if you look at the credits that the whole record was produced by my friend Griffin, who lives out in Burbank in LA, he was one of the first people that said, I think I, I think I want to do an EP. And he was just like, let's, let's do it. He was it wasn't, he didn't even ask me. He like knew what I was saying. He's like, I, (laughs) yes, let's do this. Let's do this together. I snuck out there when I was in San Francisco for work and I, uh, a weekend before I was supposed to be in San Francisco, went through to LA and we made just like this massive, like pop song. And and it'll probably, I don't know if it'll ever see the light of day, but he was just like, see, like we can do this. Like you can, Mm. you can do something that's totally different or that sounds like what, you know, the music you've made. And from there he would say, okay, do you like play some rhythm parts? Like, I know you maybe don't think you could, but like, why don't you try doing that? And if not, let's get of your friends to do it or let's ask this person or oh i have a great drummer who i think would be great for this so it it was definitely just like it all happened in series like the kind of support from my friends and especially from griffin just let things sort of fall into place and once we got to a roadblock we're like okay who's gonna do this am i gonna do it are you gonna do it are are we gonna ask someone else and i I don't know that it it really would have wanted to do it a different way i mean I, i like kind of stumbling through it and I mean, once it was much more fun when every once in a while I had to go to Los Angeles, which is somewhere I've basically spent no time. But once COVID happened, obviously, it became a very, like, I'm sure every musician is talking about with music, they're putting out a very multi-city remote situation. But yeah.
0: Yeah. So a lot of it was drawing from your contacts, from your friends. What advice or recommendations would you have for other artists who might be looking to achieve something similar. Maybe it's, maybe it's a fundraiser as well fundraising for something that they're passionate about. Like what types of things would you recommend? Maybe if they don't have a ton of contacts already, or if they're just trying to maximize the impact of the EP for their fundraising goals or anything like that, can you give any advice for people?
2: I, I can try. And I'm, I'm also looking for advice in here too. So, um, <laughs> but I mean, I have a lot of respect for my friends and a lot of respect for my community. There's kind of like a mutual understanding of kind of helping each other where we can. And a lot of things were friends of friends or friends of friends of friends of friends. And so even in building that list of potential causes was not really like, it was like, hey, do you know any good things? But it's also like, if you know anyone who knows anything about this, like, can you kind of help me filter this back through, you know, like we're, we're putting out the EP as a benefit we're there's, there's not going to be a lot of fanfare it really is going to be kind of about the community and our community's community and i think that's the best case scenario i mean i my goal i mean i i would love for a lot of as many people as possible to hear this music but i made 50 eps on vinyl and i'd love to sell them all to people who want to hold them and hear them of course i i would like you know 10 million people i may should set my goals higher but I should, as many people <laughs> as possible to hear this music but it is kind of nice to package, to say, okay, what do I want to do, and can I can I put like an not an end, but like a little box around it, so that you can keep going and do the next thing. I think that making fifty records felt it. I feel like I I hope and I can get these out there and sell them to people, and then I can say, okay, I've I've done that. I made this EP. I let people own it and listen to it and appreciate it, and also brought them into the world of the cause and, and Moore's Home. And then just keep going. I think honestly, it is like knowing when to move on, and that's definitely not something I'm an expert on. But something that I hope maybe could be something that, like, collectively we as musicians can like figure out when it is to actually start the next thing. Or
0: I think I think that's actually a really interesting point, and, and something that a lot of people maybe struggle with without knowing that they're struggling with it. Right. Like this idea, I think I think a lot of people for each release or or whatever it is they kind of feel like it is make or break, or it's like, this is the thing. And if this doesn't work out, it's the end of the world or whatever. But there is something to be said for that, for not being too overly attached, like forever. You don't have to be forever attached to a single thing. You can move on to the next thing and grow with it that way. I really like how you, you just put that. And I think a lot of people should take note of that because I, I think that's a really good idea.
2: I just think there's so much weight on how the music industry exists and like what promoting your music is and what, what does it mean to feel like your record was successful? Like there's all of the things that we all pretend that we don't care about that of course are things that are just ingrained into you that you want so badly to achieve and check off a box of having this person write about it or get a rating or like, I, I, I am, I would be lying if I said that I don't like trying really hard to undo the kind of superficial desire to have that. But like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what I say any other time you can call me. Like I would, of course would freak out if some big blog wanted to give a, you know, a rating to something right. that I had made. But I think that what I'm starting to learn from other people and a lot of people close to me who are making music is, is just really how to put like all of that want and all of that effort into your community, because that's like, that is, it doesn't just happen on its own. And with 1999 and this EP I feel like I have a lot of work to do to like get back into the music community in New York. And and I thought that it would be next to impossible to really connect with people and who are still making music, but it's like, everybody is looking for someone to talk to and, you know, hear about their projects and stuff that actually, I think. Do you that, think
0: your, your other role outside of music as a, a designer has had any impact on, on that as well? Like, because I guess you're, you're an artist in more than one sense of the word. So how do those things kind of overlap in your mind, whether that's on a creative level or on a business level and connecting with people?
2: There's both good and bad. And I mean, one of the hardest things, and I could talk about this for hours, but I, I think it's probably best to simplify it, is that every musician kind of has their own vision of what the path is they need to follow to become successful. And I really struggled to imagine a world right now where I I could only make music because I not only do I love both facets of of like my creative outlet which is design and which is music, but the the goals that I need to achieve personally and the people that I want to be able to support and things like that was always something that I, I really need to make sure I can do and it put me like there were a lot of people in my life who were like yeah that make, that makes sense <laughs> that is that is normal to know that you have to do one thing so you can do another but that's not how everyone thinks and, and and I and I spent a lot of time feeling that I was absolutely right because you know a handful of people told me what you're saying is right but that you know that's not that's not how anything works and so having the, having this job and having this thing really did and on the negative side made me a bit too like everyone should accept that this is a thing that you can do and this is a way you can do it but on on the positive side every everything whether it's a ep or a song to me like i definitely treat as solving a problem and like you know who am i making this for and what do i want it to look like what do i want it to feel like and the cool thing about music is you can say so many more personal things than all of the stuff that I get to make as a designer. Like, <laughs> you, it's it's really hard to talk about queerness if you're trying to design a battery charger or a electric bike. <laughs> um, that's not to say that transportation and the and what we do with that is not absolutely relevant to things that different communities go through like that. Like I could, that's a, that's a different podcast maybe for another time, but
0: (laughs) well, that ties in, I think (laughs) on a certain level, that ties into the EP a little bit too.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. But it's like, whether you intend to, or not the way the music industry is, it forces you to treat yourself like a business. Like it's very hard. Even Mm -hmm. the most like ethereal locked away in the woods, people, like you still have to, you're still trying to make something Potentially sell it and like get it into the hands of people and make sure that their experience with that thing is exactly what you wanted them to have. And that, like, right now, I like I just started a new uh, new job as a designer and I'm designing 3D printers. And that's completely, that's very different than music and it's very different than bikes or or whatever that is. But every day it's trying to say, okay, there's all these different types of people that are going to interact with something. And I want to make sure that they all have a good experience and the type of experience I want them to have. And, you know, maybe that's a bit too metaphoric, but I think that I think that maybe I don't do that actively every time I sit down and like play a note on an instrument, but it's it's how my brain works. So it's how it's going to unfold eventually.
0: Well, I, I think that's really, really important because, I mean, that's one thing that we talk about on this podcast a lot, thinking about the listener, considering who your audience is. And I think a lot of people, a lot of the times think that there's either that or there's making something that is personal and true to yourself. Th- those can't coexist. So I'm, I'm really glad that it, you framed that really nicely, that there, there's both of those things going on. You can make something personal and also be thinking about the experience of the listener in the end and, and make something that serves both purposes. It's pretty cool also that you have a job where there's that overlap with concepts that apply both to your music and to your work. That's somewhat unique, I think, in the sense that for a lot of people, the day job and the music career sometimes don't really coexist all that well.
2: Yeah, I feel like it's important to, like, I, I have to acknowledge that, like, the the work that I had and the company that I worked, worked for and the people that I worked with were all part of the reason I was able to continue to make music. Like, when I played a show... I left at two o'clock so I could load in and it was fine. And then once I got there and like the lights came up, my coworkers were in the audience, like with a beer and Mm. excited to see a show. And that's not, that's not how it works at every situation. And my experience I think is, I hope it's relevant for people who are, you know, doing a lot of different things, but I also understand that not every person's gonna let you just walk out and you know, or you have to take time off to play a show or, you know, there were times where I all of a sudden had to be on the West coast for two weeks, but i booked a show and I was extremely fortunate enough to be able to fly back on a weekend to play a show. And that's like, not, wow. that is not something that I, I don't want anyone's takeaway from the way I talk about this to be like, well, you should just be able to work, you know, a crazy job and also play shows. <laughs> Cause no, it, it like, it, I mean, it always comes back to the resources and the ability. And so I, I, I feel like it is important to acknowledge that like there's a there is an immense amount of privilege and luck, and to be able to, in a situation where someone would say, "Well, I have to pull out of the show because, like, my boss wants me to pull an extra shift," like that wasn't that was very rarely the case. So,
0: yeah, I mean, that's a good thing to be able to see and acknowledge within your own situation. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people, should kind of. Reflect on that, <laughs> on the the situation that allows you to to do the things that you're able to do. Right. One of the questions that we ask a lot of our guests is about misconceptions that artists fall victim to. Like, are there any misconceptions that you can think of that you see a lot of artists fall into that we can set the record straight on for this episode?
2: I, that's a really good question. I, I know I already touched on this, but I think I, I'll come back to it because as someone who's so susceptible to what's been defined as like what you need to do to put a record into the world, the like the people in my life who have reminded me of putting like investing back in the musical community is absolutely like, I think it's something we can talk about slightly deeper because you know, there's, there's so much, there's so many pay to play things. There's so many things that are just like kind of a revolving door of like promotion and, and all this type of stuff. But you know, I'm I'm a nobody as much as anyone else. Like, I'm I'm playing music, I'm making music for a very small amount of people and with a small amount of people. And so, I think a, a big misconception is, like, if you don't get any strangers, like, immediately to be part of what you're creating, that, that all of a sudden is bad. And that's something that I thought and probably still subconsciously think. I mean, I mean absolutely do think. And so, I'm telling you something that I'm probably contradicting myself, but... <laughs> You know, especially with the fact that there no one has played a live show. Very few people have played a live show in like a year. And even before that, all of these great venues that I aspired to play to in Brooklyn and New York closed down because of the way that real estate works here. It's like, it, it seems obvious, but it's so easy to get clouded that the most valuable thing is investing in a community. And and what I've seen people do with recurring house shows and just like, you know, like D- DIY things and then watch these friends and and these friends of friends kind of launch off from that. Like the power behind that blew me away because I think it's such an easy misconception to say, if you don't get your reach blog or your medium, you hope that maybe that blog will work out, that it just means that that there's no launch pad. And I've just seen people just take massive leaps from things that I probably ignored and took for granted Mm. when I was first making music. And I hope that kind of makes sense. And what I'm trying to say there and, it's it's not because I've experienced it almost because it like is absolutely the blueprint of what I want to do immediately. Like following this,
0: yeah, I, I think that that is something that a lot of people feel, and there's there's a lot of emphasis kind of throughout the music industry on like viral success and things right. like that. Like that sort of held up as like the ultimate success. You put something somewhere. And somebody sees it, they share it with somebody else, and it gets shared with whatever, 10 million people or whatever it is, and that that is success. And I I think, just like you said, a lot of people overlook a lot of the other ways that you can really build a strong career. And it's like there's always an opportunity that nobody's taken advantage of because they think that it's not the way to go off and do something. And it never is the way to go off and do something until somebody has done it and been successful with it. So right. to to kind of go along and do things as they come at you is a perfectly valid way to do things and, and can be a really great way to to build a career. I think we could think of a lot of examples of people who have gone about things in a different way and then it's it's ended up working out. So yeah, I think that's that's a great one.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: So so we like to wrap things up with our guests with a two-part question about predicting the future. Um, yeah, it's a, okay.
2: okay. <laughs> everybody makes
0: that face. <laughs> so it, um, there's no right answers or anything like that. But first of all, if you had to guess or make a prediction, where would you see yourself and your music career going in the next five years?
2: Five years. Or less. Um, no, 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 that's... that's- <laughs> I think I'm I'm gonna merge where I think and what I hope a little bit. I, I do I really do think that this, the John Airfield and, and kind of what we're calling a solo project, I, I think that it is going to last and I want this to be what I do for a very long time. When I make music, I'd like to make it as, you know, under John Airfield. But I I want <laughs> I want to have it either be part of or help create just a massive like solar system and or not not necessarily around John Airfield, but like I want John Airfield to be part of a much larger solar system of people doing these types of things. And Mm. I I don't want to, I don't want to use the words wrong when I talk about like the seriousness of the music I'm making. I think that if I make an EP down the road or an album down the road, that gets a lot more, you know, positive response than this first one, I don't think it's necessarily more serious than what I'm doing right now, but I, I want to keep on, Building this project to a point where I feel like the resources I can put into it and what I'm putting out of it are on on a higher level. Mm -hmm. So in five years, that's horrifying to think of a different number at the beginning of my age. But (laughs) when I'm 34 years old, I I I expect at a minimum to still be putting music into tangible things, and maybe by then to be able to play a show in front of people in an indoor space. Uh, yeah, beyond beyond that, my hope is just that I'm part of something much larger than what is right now, and that I was able to at least contribute to the to the building of that system.
0: Nice, yeah, very nice. And then the the second part to the question is: Where do you see the music industry as a whole headed in the next five years? Like, can you make any predictions about what's coming? This is where there's really no right answers.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've again, I have a think and a hope. I think. That the behemoths of the music industry are not going to, and I don't mean to be so negative, but I I don't think they're going to cave to truly supporting musicians in a way like you know a bandcamp does. Like I I don't see, I don't see the like capitalism of everything just just getting better in the next five years. I think it's absolutely going to get worse. And like in terms of the biggest of the big drivers, I I think it. I, I see things like consolidation and and compensation just being things that. I'm sort of afraid of, but the hope is that it creates a very strong counter in what already exists in communities and DIY. And I think, I mean, it's, it's it's exactly the same thing that happens in society and politics. Like the, the stronger that one side gets, Mm -hmm. I do think what we're going to have is a very loud, incredible, you know, indie scene or self-signed scene or, or whatever it is. But I think, I think that the, behemoths are going to be very big. And I think it's going to, I hope that in our life, like in our, you know, in the next five or 10 years that we get to see some of the massive shifts in power and in, in compensation and resources, because I don't think that 2021 or 2022 is the year that Spotify decides to pay people fairly, or that so far sounds decides to pay people fairly and that things like that, you know, I I think that we're still in a place where business <laughs> businesses will be businesses. And, I hope that's not too dark, but I no. <laughs> I think I think I think with the yeah, with the growth of all the things people are already up against, there has to be like an equal and opposite if not a stronger opposite response.
0: Yeah, I think we're obviously very much in line with that with a podcast called Self-Signed Artist. So <laughs> that's a perfect prediction. Right. Well, Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us today and, and talk about this. This, is, this has been really great. And I think we've covered a lot of things that we haven't been able to cover before. So I'm very happy about that. So all of you self-signed artists out there, go pick up a copy of 1999 on December 4th on Bandcamp. That'll be at John Airfield. So J-O-H-N-A-I-R-F-I-E-L-D.bandcamp.com. And that's this coming Friday, if you're listening on the day that this episode comes out. And then also make sure you go and, and pick it up on Friday, because this is going to be one of the, the days that Bandcamp is waiving their revenue shares for sales. So that's going to gonna help make the biggest contribution to the Morris home that can be made. So if you can do that on Friday, that would have the biggest impact also. And then if you want to learn more, you can also go visit johnairfield.com. You can read more about Morse Home there as well. And yeah, is there anything that you want to leave us with? Any other message or anything like that?
2: Well, first of all, thanks. This has been this has been insane. This has been really good. I had no idea what to expect going into it. Um, And (laughs) it's just been like talking to you guys has helped me realize what I actually am trying to say to people about this project so I really really appreciate that and no other than that just yeah really grateful really appreciative and December 4th it's 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 coming up in a matter of days it's
0: go time
1: (laughs) thank you guys for tuning in to this week's episode of self-signed artists go ahead and leave a five-star review on apple podcasts and even leave a little written message, a little written review for Kobe and I to read and we'll catch you next week.
0: That's all we've got for you on this episode. And we'll catch you on the next episode of self signed artist.
2: Bye everyone. Peace.